0: The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to UUSF.org. On April 19th, 2021, the New York Times published an article that was written by Adam Grant titled, There's a name for the blah you're feeling, it's called languishing. Do not of you remember that article? It was an instant conversation topic in my circles. It named something that many of us had been feeling but couldn't quite put a handle on. Grant, writes, at first I didn't recognize the symptoms that we all had in common. Instead of bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m., I was lying until seven, playing words with friends. It wasn't burnout, we still had energy, it wasn't depression, we didn't feel hopeless. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that, languishing. Putting a name to our emotions as he did, it was powerful. Brene Brown, the shame expert and author of so many best-selling books, is the author of a new book called Atlas of the Heart. She had a study years ago, asked people in it to name whatever emotions they could and most people, when asked to name as many emotions as they could, could only name (laughs) three. Angry, happy, and sad. Or mad, sad, and glad, as she likes to say. Languishing wasn't a feeling that most of us had a name for in April of 2019, but when Adam Grant wrote about it, we knew of what he spoke. And somehow, Putting a name on our emotions, it made them easier to bear and navigate. Brene Brown says that's pretty common. Language is our portal to meaning-making, she writes, to connection, healing, learning, and self-awareness. When we don't have the language to talk about what we're experiencing, Our ability to make sense of what's happening and share it with others is severely limited. Without accurate language, we struggle to get the help we need. We don't always regulate or manage our emotions and experiences. Language shows us that naming an experience doesn't give the experience more power, she writes, as we often fear it does. It gives us the power of understanding and meaning. Does that make sense to you? She also says that for many of us, maybe most of us, if the feeling that we are having is not a good one, not one we like, one of pain and, or vulnerability often, that we will try to outrun it or outsmart it. We can also try and numb it by eating and shopping and drinking and working and fighting and sleeping our way to distraction or numbness. I think sometimes when we are full up of a feeling or feelings that we aren't naming, and sitting knee to knee with, and breathing through, and listening to, and befriending, and making meaning of it, we sometimes step into the world in all kinds of ways that aren't helpful. Sideways energy comes out. We get really mad at City Hall for a parking lot, and go on a rampage. We decide our job is unacceptable in some regard and needs immediate change and quit, or we just tag what we're feeling to some person or some cause or some wrong in the world. Not that that thing isn't wrong or that person hasn't wronged us, but but we give it an energy that's disproportionate to what it's done or what it threatens. But most of all, in the space of all of that, what it is that we haven't named, it eats us up inside, whatever feeling or feelings it is that are hard and that we have too much of. They keep us teetering, vibrating, It struck me recently, the way a plane vibrates when the turbulence is so much that you actually wonder in the flight if the plane will hold up to the shaking. Well, over the last couple weeks, I've been feeling that around. And at first I thought it was just one person or another or just a piece of me, but then it just started to come up everywhere, and even more and more explicitly, people naming something like this sense of fullness to overflowing or teetering, and the vibration energy of the universe seemed super high, and it's infectious, you know? If you weren't already feeling it, you certainly would be. This week in a conversation with a few members, Athena Papadakos said something, almost an aside in the conversation that I jumped on at the end of the call. It was late and it was Zoom, you know, our favorite thing to stay on longer. And we were all tired, but I asked Athena to stay on and she stayed on another hour with me. You said something, I said to her, about people being at the edge, at the brink. Athena, you should know, is not just one of our people who decorates our flowers periodically as part of our flower team, but she's also a therapist. I believe she supervised all the employee care for PSENG employees during the wildfires a couple of years ago. You can imagine the scary, unsettling, traumatic experiences she was ministering to through her practice. I told her that I'd been feeling the same way in the world, feeling that same sense and hearing that same sense of all of us and people in my life at the brink, and how it now was clear to me, it wasn't just one set of circumstances or another, it was like this tide rising and it wasn't just lapping on my feet and it was rising to ankles and above and people were saying things with increasing frequency like I'm at my limit or I can't hold anymore or it's too much for me, that there was this teetering, people feeling like they were near the edge, that we were. What is going on? Well, in the fall, in the fall when I felt like there was something to name, it was this exhaustion. That's, that's what it seemed to be. People leaving their jobs because they were just too tired. They needed some rest. Now I hear of people leaving their jobs in anger or conflict, of fireworks, of finger pointing. In the fall, families were tired, and rightly so, and ready to have their kids back in school and a little bit more space. And, Now families are hurting and kids are, well, it's not clear what's going on, but they're in pain and they're struggling. In the fall, I felt like this energy that came up when we started church again was, well, it was about getting things done, but I felt like it was out of this sense of like all the lost time that we had, and now I feel like the energy asking us to get things done is this desire to fix things to make the pain of those things go away, almost like a panic-level intensity, as if, I think, we falsely believe, because we haven't thought about it, that if we fix that thing, that this thing inside us that's vibrating too fast will go away. And it's collective, I think. So when Athena said what she said, one little innocent remark (laughs) dropped in a Zoom call, I jumped on it and she ate dinner on Zoom late at night while I took notes and she talked. And I asked her, what do you think it is, this people at the brink, on the edge? And her first answer, grief. We've lost a million people in the United States, she said. I'm just talking out of the top of my head, she said, but it was great talking out of the top of her head. And we haven't had any significant act of collective grieving. Not a national day of mourning. The night before the inauguration, she said, there was some nod to it. To heal, we must remember, Biden said, but then the losses were only 400,000. And actually, to heal, it's not just enough to remember. We have to mourn. And our grief, the grief we need to do, it's not just for the 600,000 people more we have lost in the United States alone, It's for the world that we have watched unfold and unravel. It's for that time that we have lost, that we realize when we finally see our loved ones again is completely lost. It's the birthday parties we didn't attend, it's the recitals we didn't get to go to, it's the family reunions we didn't get to be part of, it's the funerals that couldn't happen. My daughter didn't get to visit her grandmother before her grandmother passed away or attend the funeral. Those rituals of closure and time and mourning and having your people around you in them, they are irreplaceable for the healing that needs to happen. Many of us couldn't go to hospital rooms when people were suffering. Our relationships got stale. Relationships those places where we go when we're stressed to connect that make us feel safe and whole and remind us that when all the ups and downs of life go away, there are these people we love who don't care if we've lost a few IQ points, as we all do constantly. We lost all those chances to hug or break bread and all that happens that feeds us. We were like people in these prison cells. Some of us in solitary confinement and we haven't grieved any of that. Not together, not spaciously. America is an optimistic nation But it's kind of a forced and false optimism often, isn't it? I mean, maybe in most ways. I mean, we say how great we are, but we don't tell the true history or grieve the cost of the making of this nation and the grotesque violence that's part of the story and the losses, the torturous, cruel, inhumane pieces of our story, right? And it's a nation of immigrants and slaves who were struggling to survive and Native American people struggling to protect their land and their culture and their people. Where I think more often than not, folks just had to press on and make it work and the Puritan strength got us through, some of us some of our ancestors. But those Puritan virtues, that endurance that gets us through it always comes at a price, right? Of tenderness and connection. And it's not good for us wherever we (laughs) draw that way to make it through hard times. It's not serving us There are studies that literally show how it's bad for our health, mental and physical, how it makes us brittle, not stronger. Judy Strachan said at a staff meeting this week, normally you go through something hard and you say, when I am through this, when I get through this, I will take time to heal. But let's be honest, she said there hasn't been time to heal before the next thing happens. So I think what we're experiencing is just this need, this cry, now a scream to make time for healing. And it seems almost impossible to ask to make that time when trans kids in Texas are in danger, when our nuclear, our nuclear nuclear war is a threat, when our reproductive rights are under attack, to name just a few of the newest things that have come to threaten us, let alone the existential threats and the racial reckoning work that is still urgent. But we need to make time to heal. The book I was going to preach on this week, Edgar Villanueva, The um, Decolonizing Wealth, he actually talks about grieving as the first step toward that work. Grieving as a core skill that we all need to develop to do the work of healing. So if you aren't inclined to give yourself space to grieve in general, Maybe sometime we can talk about how he thinks and why he thinks the work is necessary for cultural transformation. Athena thought, she said, when I asked her, what we do with the sense of overwhelm and exhaustion and people to the brink and the need to grieve what we do, She said she thinks part of the work right now is simply that we just need to focus and double down on self-care, which can be especially hard when we feel overwhelmed, but it's pretty basic. She said, I always tell my clients, when the going gets tough, the tough exercise more. Eat well, she said, prioritize sleep, take vitamin D, listen to your body, journal, pray, walk, connect with friends, make time for calm, make time for quiet, ask for what you need, pay attention to what you feel, try and put a name to it, give yourself what you need. Focus on your immediate circle of influence on an especially overwhelming day. John Kabat-Zinn says, Mindful play is important when we feel overwhelmed, which is to say make space for joy even when the world is falling apart or you feel like you are, especially when you feel like you're falling apart and the world is because not because you and I are naive because we're not, but because that joy is the fuel for aliveness, and we need aliveness if we are going to heal the world in all the ways that we need to or tend to, all the people we love in all the ways that they are struggling. As some of you named in your candles this morning, we cannot save what we do not savor. We just don't have the juice to do it. But I think too many of us are at the edge these days, and maybe the people who couldn't even make it to worship are in the worst place possible, so if you run into people in the world who seem vibrating so that the plane might burst apart in the turbulence of life, will you be kind to them? Make space for them? because it's showing up everywhere. It's what's going on. And it's a cry for a little space for healing and self-love from a lot of grief and hurt that we have endured. spirit of life that runs through us from hand to hand, life to life, may we heed our body and spirit's invitations to be kind to ourselves and to one another without fear May we lean into and nurture the bruised and hurting places inside us and trust that we will come home to ourselves and to life restored to love and to dance another gorgeous human day. Life restored for all the good work we feel called to do. Spirit of life move through us for healing, give us space, and may we give ourselves the same.
1: Amen. Good morning. (laughs) I'm Nancy Hardys and I love this church. I love the music and for the opportunity to sing in the choir as I feel most spiritually connected through music. Thank you, Mark. I love the intellectual stimulation I've received from all our ministers that has challenged me to grow. I've learned so much, and for the opportunity to serve by teaching Sunday school, serving on several committees, and being a part of this beloved community in this beautiful space. During these past two years of uncertainty, the church has been an anchor for me. The one thing I could count on was our service over YouTube and my parakeet belting out chirps when I sang along. He loves the organ reiko. He especially belts out the doxology. (laughs) Love is the spirit of this church. We are all recipients of Vanessa's and Allison's love that shines from them. But I want to tell you about a time that the church's spirit especially resonated for me. Some years ago, I lost my nursing position due to a traumatic brain injury that I sustained in a car accident, and from which the doctors told me that I'd never be an RN again. I showed them, though. But while I was out of work, I was also recovering from a back injury. All this while my dear mother that I had taken care of was dying and died of Alzheimer's disease. It was a perfect storm and I became severely depressed and felt so unworthy of love. I was loved back into feeling worthy again in healing by our intern at the time, Mary Gans, and by Margot and Linda Harris, a born lay minister This church wrapped its arms around me every week, and little by little, I healed and I loved again. I remember thinking that even if you lose some IQ, you don't need to lose love Q. Please pledge generously to the church that wraps its arms around us all. Thank you.